and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about today's episode. Oh, I'm excited too. I it, can't wait to hear about it's, it. It's about two months in the making. Really? Okay. So um, when uh, Josh and I were over in the UK for our little winter vacation, um, we watched a lot of uh, British television. Of course. And there was one of the British quiz shows that was asking people about their, you know, who was the most memorable um, performer at this specific thing. Mm. And, you know, people were giving these answers and we're like, we've never heard of any of these things before. And then later that night, we decide we're going to go to a, an authentic British pub quiz. Oh. We're going to kick ass at this British pub quiz. <laughs> we're so we're going to be so, we're so good at trivia. And so we get there and there's like eight other teams playing. And every single question is like British word here <laughs> that we've never heard of. Who was this? Who was the original presenter of the British version of this show? Yeah, like QI stuff like or that. whatever. Yeah. So we're like, oh, well, it's okay. Like, we'll, we'll be fine as long as we get some non-British questions. And then the, <laughs> and then the music round was, um, was all about Eurovision and they wanted oh us my to God. name the, the song and the country the song nope. came from. And that was what we had just seen like earlier that day on that TV show. Oh, okay. And it was like, what the heck? Like that, all these people know everything about Eurovision. We don't know anything about Eurovision. It's amazing that Eurovision is huge everywhere else except for America. Well, there's one real reason for that. Oh, okay. Because we're, <laughs> we're not in Europe. That's true. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, it never came over here, even as like it an import. It can't. <gasps> Ooh, okay. Tell me everything. Yeah, you're I gonna, can't wait. T- so today, everybody, this episode is called No Eurovision, <laughs> all about Eurovision. <laughs> So what the heck is this thing? Yeah. You've probably heard of it before. You know, it's like a music contest, sure. question mark, yeah. but maybe you don't know anything else. No, about I it. don't know anything else, honestly. Okay. So the Eurovision Song Contest, often called, just called Eurovision, mm-hmm. is an international song competition held among the member countries of the European Broadcasting Union, or the EBU. Okay. So each participating country submits an original song to be performed on live television and radio, then casts votes for the other country's songs to determine the winner. It was originally based on the Italian San Remo Festival that would, that was held in Italy for... Um, decades. So since like 1951, this place in Italy has had a music festival. Mm. But Eurovision has been broadcast every year since its inauguration in 1956, making it the longest running annual international television contest. Oh, wow. And one of the world's longest running television programs. And it is also one of the most watched non-sporting events with audience figures between 100 million and 600 million internationally. Holy cow. A half a billion people are watching Eurovision. Get the hell out of here. Okay. And we have... No idea. None. (laughs) No. Blissfully unaware. No. So 
As Europe was rebuilding in the 1950s, sure, yeah. post-World War II, the EBU, which was based in Switzerland, set up an ad hoc committee to search for ways of bringing together the countries of the oh, EBU yeah. around a sort of light entertainment program. Mm, okay. okay. Yeah. So um, they had a committee meeting in Monaco in January 1955, and the committee came up with the idea of an international song contest where countries would participate in one single program to be transmitted simultaneously across all countries in Europe. So the oh concept, gosh. originally called the Eurovision Song Contest Grand Prix, was approved in October 1955, and they decided that the first contest would take place in spring 1956 in Lugano, Switzerland. Great. Okay? Yeah. So seven countries participated in the first competition, each submitting two songs for a total of 14 songs. Okay. Uh, this was the only contest in which more than one song per country was performed. But since 1957, all contests have allowed only one entry per country. Mm, okay. So the first edition ever of the Eurovision Song Contest Grand Prix in 1956 was broadcast live, but it was not recorded at the time. So only a sound recording of the radio transmission has survived from that original oh, broadcast. Uh, the 1956 contest was won by the host nation, Switzerland. Mm. And the term Grand Prix was dropped from the contest name in 1973, though the French replaced that with the word Concours for contest. So they called it the Concours Eurovision de la Chanson, while everyone else just decided it's the just the Eurovision. The French. Mm. <laughs> You've much to say about them. Mm -hmm. So the format of the contest has evolved over the years, though the basic tenets have stayed the same. Participant countries submit original songs, performed live on a television program broadcast across the Eurovision network by the EBU simultaneously to all countries. Amazing. So a country as a participant is represented by one television broadcaster from that country. So typically, but not always, that country's national public broadcasting organization. So maybe if the U.S. was involved in it, like PBS yeah. would be the, oh, the broadcaster okay. and how they selected um, who would represent them. I see. So it's a little bit like Beastmaster. Yeah, a little like Beast, Ultimate Beastmaster. Ultimate Beastmaster. <laughs> ultimate Beastmaster. Yeah. Yes. So everybody sends their their sends their top, public. Their, yeah, their top talent. Yes. So and we'll get to how they select them. Ooh. Okay. So um, the program is hosted by one of the participant countries, and the show is broadcast from the auditorium in the host city. So during this program, after all songs have been performed, the countries then proceed to cast votes for the other country's songs. Nations are not allowed to vote for their own song. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of the program, the song with the most points is declared to be the winner. Um, the winner receives simply the prestige of having won, although mm. it is usual for a trophy to be awarded to the winning songwriters. And the winning country is formally invited to host the event the following year. Okay. I was going to ask, yes. like, how do they choose host countries yes. but that makes sense so more on the actual competition in voting in a bit okay um, Eurovision participants do not necessarily have to be from Europe um, eligible participants include primarily active members of the EBU so those who are located in states that fall within the European broadcasting area okay. or are member states of the Council of Europe so eligibility to participate is not determined by geographic inclusion within the continent of Europe despite the Euro and Eurovision nor does it have any relation to the European Union um, there are several countries geographically outside the boundaries of Europe that have competed. So for example, Israel, Cyprus, and Armenia okay. in Western Asia. Um, Australia has participated since 2015. Um, and several transcontinental countries with only part of their territory in Europe have also competed. So Turkey, Russia, Georgia, and Azerbaijan. Uh, 52 countries have participated at least once. So you don't have to send a faction every year. It's, oh, okay. You know. So you can sit a year out or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if Australia got to join like why not us they they love it 
Australia loves it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have a lot. They got a big desert in the middle of their country. They're away from everything else. Yeah. And they love to sing. They love it. Oh. So most of the expense of the contest is covered by commercial sponsors and contributions from the other participating nations. Uh, the contest is considered to be a unique opportunity for promoting the host country as a tourist destination, kind of like the Olympics yeah. originally. Mm-hmm. Um, after the first two contests were hosted by Switzerland and Germany, it was decided that henceforth the winning country would host the contest the next year. And in all but five of the years since this rule has been in place, the winning country has hosted the show the following year. But when it was declined, it was usually because of expense or the inability to provide a suitable venue. So maybe if you're like a teeny tiny country and your biggest arena will only hold 300 people, you cannot host the Eurovision. Makes Mm -hmm. sense. So the rules of Eurovision. Okay. I lay it on me. I'm so excited. I wish I could watch it now. I'm excited about this. (laughs) All vocals must be sung live. Okay. No voices are permitted on backing tracks. Wow. Um, from 1956 until 1998, the host country was required to provide a live orchestra. Oh, my um, God. From 73 onwards, pre-recorded non-vocal backing tracks were permitted, though the host country was still obligated to provide a live orchestra to give participants a choice. If a backing track was used, then all instruments heard on the track were required to be present on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so like they even if there was a backing track they had to at least pretend yes uh-huh. like okay but they dropped that requirement in 1997 yeah because that's dumb yeah <laughs> and then in 99 the requirement for a live orchestra was removed and it was left as an optional contribution mm. um each submission must have vocals purely instrumental music has never been allowed wow in the past competitors have been required to sing in one of their own national languages but this rule has been changed several times over the years uh from 1956 until 1965 there was no rule restricting the language in which the song should be sung okay in 1966 a rule was imposed stating that songs must be performed in one of the official languages of the country participating after sweden was the first country to not sing in their own national language oh really um, the language restriction continued until 73 when performers were again allowed to sing in any language they wished and it went back and forth a few times but since 99 performers can sing in any language. Okay. A lot of them choose to sing in English. Yeah, that makes sense because mm-hmm. it has more global appeal. From 1957 to 1970, only soloists and duos were allowed on stage. Um, From 1963, a chorus of up to three people was permitted. But since 1971, a maximum of six performers have been permitted on the stage. Um, So that's the the max number of people you can have on your stage during your program is six. So you could essentially have like a boy band. Yeah. On your stage. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, And also all people on stage must be at least 16 years old of age or okay. older. No, so, no, like be- beautiful child singers yeah. to win over mm-hmm. the hearts gotta, and minds You got to hold off until you're eligible. Yeah. Um, the performance in or lyrics of a song quote must not bring the contest into disrepute. So no lyrics, speeches, gestures of political or similar nature are permitted. Mm, okay. um, no swearing or unacceptable language is allowed mm-hmm. and neither are commercial messages. So can't you can't be, be like, like Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. And finally, no live animals are permitted to be used on stage. <laughs> wow. That is a, like a rule. There's only like three rules for Eurovision. One of them is no live animals. So I don't know what happened. Sounds like someone had a problem at some point. Yeah. <laughs> someone brought a live cheetah and it ate <laughs> four of the members of Lebanon. <laughs> it's, it's all over. So how Eurovision works. Um, each participating broadcaster that represents their country chooses their performer, again, a maximum of six people, and song, a maximum of three minutes, not released before September 1st of the previous year. 
Okay. Um, each country is free to decide if they send their number one star from their country sure, or yeah. the best new talent they can find. And they have to do so before mid-March of the year that the contest will be taking place. That's okay. the official deadline to send in entries. The winner of the Eurovision Song Contest is chosen through two semifinals and a grand final. So that's not just like round one, round two, make yeah. your way up. No, you start off in the semifinals. So so you start off in the semifinals, so you don't actually hear all, like, if you're watching it, you don't actually hear all the songs. Well, you will. Because oh. you're watching it. Because it's, it's all broadcast. Oh, I see. I so, see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's not like preliminary rounds or whatever. It's just like, I don't know why they start off calling it the semifinal. That's, yeah. d- that's just kind of confusing to me. But yeah, that's where I was at. So it is. Okay. So traditionally, five or six countries are automatically pre-qualified for the grand final. Like you don't have to do the semifinal. You're just in the grand you're final. So anyway. good. Yeah. Um. So they're the so-called big five. So that's France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the United Kingdom, and the host country if they're not already one of those five. Okay. Um, so the remaining countries take place in one of two semifinals, and in each semifinal, the best ten proceed to the grand final. Okay. So this brings the total number of grand final participants to twenty-six. Just a mere 26 finalists. Three minute songs with bells and whistles. Great. (laughs) So after all songs have been performed, each participating country has a professional jury of five people whose job it is to rank its top 10 performances. So they, they see all these performances. They award points to their favorite 10. So they start off with points of 12, 10, Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, and one to its next favorites in descending order. Okay. So if you loved Switzerland the most, you're giving them points. twelve points. If you love France the next best, they get ten points. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, so home viewers also get a vote here. Oh, I was going to ask. Is like yeah. the kind of the cool thing about this is like predates American Idol. Um, so the jury scores are revealed during the final by each nation's spokespeople, at which point a second round of votes from members of the public watching live at home will be cast. Hmm. So viewers can vote by telephone, text message, and through the official Eurovision app. Of course. Um, viewers in all the competing countries, including those who were knocked out in the semifinals, can vote up to 20 times for the songs of their choice. Wow. But they are not allowed to vote for their own country. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. that's like across the board, you are not allowed to vote for your own country. No. All right, that's good. In the grand final, juries and viewers from all participating countries can vote again after the 26 finalists have performed. Mm -hmm. And once the voting window has closed, the presenters will call upon spokespersons in all participating countries and ask them to reveal their jury points live on air. Then the Eurovision presenters will read out the results of the European televote in ascending order, beginning with the country that received the lowest number of televotes and finishing with the country that received the highest and the country with the highest number of votes wins the competition. Oh and they gosh. get to host it next year. And since 2008, the winner gets to take home the iconic glass microphone trophy. Oh. Designed Ooh. by glass artist Kiel Engman. I don't know oh. who that is, but it sounds <laughs> gorgeous. So if you're going to watch Eurovision at home, it always takes place in May of every year, too, I think. Okay, so we're going to watch it this year. Isn't that it? We're going to sure. get a VPN. There's a, there's a channel in the U.S. that broadcasts it now. I mean, there has to be, yeah. right? If not, we can get a VPN. Okay. I'm sure one of our boys. Oh, or YouTube. We can probably YouTube. do YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. All Great. right. Done. We're, so we're going to get some. Block ooh. it out. I just thought, theme party. <laughs> no, think about it. I mean, party meaning just us. <laughs> we get themed foods, right? Mm-hmm. Swedish meatballs, Italian pizza. 
Why are you holding French your fries? Head? French fries. Yes. English uh, breakfast. English breakfast. A full English. <laughs> we have a full English. It's an all day thing. I'm imagining. We'll start with a full English. We'll do, you know, this famous baklava. Azerbaijani flatbread. <laughs> We'll goat stew? <laughs> goat stew, sure. I've had it. It's delicious. I, we have time is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Great. I love this. It's in May. Yes. Yeah. So if you're going to watch it at home. Sure. Each participating broadcaster is required to broadcast the show in its entirety, including all songs, recaps, voting, and reprise, skipping only the interval act for advertising breaks if they wish. Um, from 1999 onward, broadcasters who wish to do so were given the opportunity to take more advertising breaks as short, non-essential hiatuses were introduced into the program. Mm. So they kind of were like, oh yeah, these people, they probably want to make some money off this. We're sure, gonna, yeah. We're going to add in some breaks. Um, so because the songs play to such a diverse audience with contrasting musical tastes and countries want to be able to appeal to as many people as possible sure. to gain votes, this has led to the music of the contest being characterized as, quote, a mishmash of power ballads, ethnic rhythms, and bubblegum pop. <laughs> I can see the that, best, yeah. The best of the best. Um, since Eurovision is a visual show, too, um, many mm. performances attempt to attract the attention of the voters through means other than the music, notably elaborate lighting sequences and <laughs> pyrotechnics. Sometimes leading to bizarre on-stage theatrics and costumes, including the use of Clutch Your Pearls revealing dress. Oh my gosh, I I need to watch this. <laughs> this is my new favorite thing that I haven't seen yet. I this is so exciting. <laughs> so the winners of Eurovision. As of 2018, Ireland holds the record for the highest number of wins, having <gasps> won the contest seven times. Nice job. Cogorgeous. That means congratulations. Oh, that's right. I looked it up. That's nice. Cogorgeous. <laughs> Um, Sweden is second with six wins. Uh, France, Luxembourg, and the UK are joint third with five wins each. And the Netherlands and Israel both hold four victories. Denmark and Norway have both won thrice. Six countries have won twice. 12 countries have won once. And 24 countries have participated but never won. Aww. Israel is the only non-European country to win. Oh, okay. And they have had four wins. Good to know. Um, in 1969, four countries, uh, the UK, Spain, the Netherlands, and France won the contest. Uh, the first time a tie had ever occurred. Oh, A wow. four-way tie. Um, however, there was no rule at the time to cover such an eventuality. So all four countries were declared joint winners. Wow. Um, nowadays, if there's a tie between two or more songs in the combined ranking between public votes and the jury votes, the song that obtains a better ranking from the public vote is deemed the winner. I see. Okay. So they let the people decide. Yeah. So not only has Ireland won the most times, but they also won the most consecutive years in a row, 1992, oh, wow. 1993, 1994. Uh, three countries have won twice in a row. Um, Spain, Luxembourg, and Israel have all won twice in a row. Okay. And along with Switzerland's win in the very first contest, um, Serbia is the only other country to win with its debut entry in 2007. Uh, the biggest loser, Norway, has come in dead last on Aww. 10 separate occasions, and it has scored negative points not oh. once, but four times. Oh, my God. I don't know what they were doing in Norway. Well, they're, well, they're the land of death metal. You know, it's a very <laughs> dark place. Uh, by language, an English song has won the most times, 32. Oh, wow. Okay. Followed by French, 14, Hebrew, 4, and Dutch, 3. The most recent winner of the contest is Neda Barzillai, who won the 2018 contest for Israel. Uh, and so here's the, here's the portion of the show where I'm going to play you some of their... I, some of the clips of some of these I winning songs. I love this so much. Are you ready? I'm so excited. Okay. This is so exciting. Here, I'm not, and I'm not going to do every single year. Thank for, you. Because yeah. that's, we'd be here all night. Yeah. 
It's over 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is from 1956. The song is called Refrain. It is by the artist Lis Asia, and she's from Switzerland. So it's in French. It's, it's nice, nice and like feels very like big band era. You could waltz. I don't know it. what I don't know what she's singing about. Yeah, but oh. sounds romantic. So this is this is refrain. All right. The um, 1967, uh, the UK wins with Puppet on a String oh. by the artist Sandy Shaw. Ooh. Ooh, bouncy. She has like a very like sassy 60s bob Ooh. and like a baby doll dress on. Oh, that's so 60s. Yeah. So that's Sandy Shaw, Puppet on a String. What 1960, year was that? 1967. 67. She went for the UK. All right. uh, 1971 for Monaco, we have the artist Severine with Un banc, un arbre, un rue. What does that mean? This is like a very, apparently like a very iconic performance. It's, it sounds like something you would sing along to mm-hmm. in a major way. A lot of drunk French singing this song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, and I don't know if this is just the time period, but I'm getting a very uh, common thread amongst all so far. <laughs> all of these songs. Well, here we are at 1974. This okay. is uh, undoubtedly the the most popular song to ever come out of oh. uh, Eurovision, especially from a winner, um, and it, it basically launched the career for this group. And okay. you know the song. Oh my god, it's Waterloo. Oh, okay. So this ABBA from Switzerland. Oh my gosh. 1974, Waterloo. Now, with this, I gotta take a break and talk to you about ABBA. Oh, yeah, please. Kay. I mean, so here we go. Leosin. Let's I, talk about them. Yeah. ABBA. Um, they were the Swedish pop group formed in Stockholm in 1972 by Agnetha Foskog, Bjorn Olveus, Benny Anderson, and Anna-Frid Langstad. Um, in case you didn't know, the group's name is an acronym of the first letters of their first names. And the logo has all capital letters with the first B backwards so that ABBA looks like a symmetrical image. That's very they good. are the most successful group to have taken part in Eurovision. Uh, estimates of ABBA's total record sales are at least 400 million records worldwide, oh making them one of the best-selling music artists of all time. They are the best-selling band from continental Europe and also from outside the English-speaking world. ABBA are the first group from a non-English-speaking country to achieve consistent success in the charts of English-speaking countries. So during their active career from 1972 to 1982, ABBA placed 20 singles on the Billboard Hot 100, but Dancing Queen was their only single to hit number one on the Billboard Hot oh, 100. Wow, okay. So check out episode 70, Top of the Billboard Charts, uh, for more information. Also a music episode. <laughs> Uh, during the band's active years, it was composed of the two couples. So one was Agnetha Falzkog, she's the blonde one, mm-hmm. and Bjorn Alveus, he had the sweet mullet. Um, the other was Anna Frid Lingstad, she was the redhead, and Benny Anderson, who had the big beard. Okay. Okay. I, I got them in my head. Yep. <laughs> um, ABBA was widely noted for the colorful and trendsetting costumes its members wore. Oh, yeah. uh, the reason for the wild costumes was Swedish tax law. Uh, the cost of the clothes was deductible only if they could be, not be worn for anything other than performances. Oh, oh okay. 
Um, ABBA also made a lot of music videos because their songs were hits in many different countries mm. um, and personal appearances were not always possible. Um, most of ABBA's music videos, especially early on, were directed by Lassie Hallstrom, who would later go on to direct the films My Life is a Dog, The Cider House Rules, and Chocolat. Oh my gosh. Like a real, like a real ass a real director. ass guy. So ABBA songs, we probably all know. Sure. 1974 Waterloo. Mm-hmm. 1975, you get SOS. Uh, Cher just did a cover album of ABBA songs. She did. Yeah, she did. All right. Then in 1976, you get Dancing Queen. I'm not going to play that. Every single person here knows Dancing Queen. But you also have Fernando. Oh, I love Fernando. My dad hates ABBA. Oh, he hates them so much. I knew this. Yeah. (laughs) 1977, you get the name of the game. Oh, I don't think I know this one. This is, this is Agnetha singing. Oh, okay. Putting some stank on it. Oh, yep. Okay. I got it. Mm -hmm. The same year. America, you get Knowing Me, Knowing You from ABBA. Yeah. I can really just go dance to this. I can Uh see this as like a hit today. Yeah, this is like, um, it's kind of folky, you know? I'm into it. We're bopping to this, you guys. Yeah, it is good. I'm into it. You also, okay, the next year you get 1978, Take a Chance on Me. Oh, and they yes. just launch right into this. Yes. Oh, I lost the beat. Take a chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance. And the other song you should probably know, 1980, The Winner Takes It All. Nothing more to say. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. No more races. This is Agnetha, too. The winner takes it all. Oh, it's so good. The, the video is very, like, you get, you just got those, like, soft, oh, lights just in the soft background. Mm. And they're, like, the feathered hair. So I feel like people. Like, I feel like there's a common, like, rumor that ABBA didn't know English. Have you heard this? That they were just like, oh, yeah, they didn't speak English at all. They just, they just. They learned everything phonetically or something like that? Yeah. I don't think I've heard that, but it makes sense. Well, I've heard that. that They totally spoke English. I don't know why people are persisting that rumor. Yeah, they were Swedish. Like, the Swedish can speak better English than (laughs) we can. Yeah. Like, (laughs) 
So um, in 1976, Arrival, that album, that was their biggest hit studio album. But the compilation album, Gold, Greatest Hits Ooh. from 1992, has become one of the most popular albums worldwide with sales of over 28 million copies. Oh my gosh. Um, Ulvaeus and Anderson went on to collaborate with Tim Rice on Chess. Of course. Um, it was first a concept album in 1984 that was pretty successful. Um, and then that opened that as a show in the West End in London in 1986. Mm-hmm. And eventually Broadway in the US, but it didn't do too well here. People no, did not want to see a musical about, about chess, chess in the Soviet Union. Oh, what a shock. Yeah. Um, they've also been heavily involved with the production of Mamma Mia, both the stage musical and the movies. Oh my God, um, what a And as you maker. mentioned... Huh? I said it's such a money oh, maker. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So they're much so money. Rich. Oh they're so they're rich. They're so rich. They're so rich. Um, as you mentioned, Cher released an album of ABBA covers mm-hmm. called Dancing Queen in 2018 after Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, came the, out. The gays... Love it. Loved it. Love it. Just Twitter, gay Twitter just imploded <laughs> with it was like two greatest things like abba and share coming together and then the cover art was yeah. released oh my gosh i mean they were like friends when oh yeah they were you know performing all at the same time yeah um abba were honored at the 50th anniversary celebration of the eurovision song contest in 2005 when their hit waterloo was chosen as the best song in the competition's history amazing and they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2010 I didn't know that they started out with the Eurovision song, song contest. Yeah. I had no idea about that. That's so interesting. Yep. So that was the only question Josh and I got right when we did <laughs> the Eurovision round Good for you. at Pub Quiz. Good. Okay. Um, in 1976, uh, from the United Kingdom, you get the Brotherhood of Man. Save your kisses for me. So this is another group of two couples. They're all wearing bell bottoms. <laughs> so they were trying to catch that they're doing ABBA like, spirit. They're doing like choreographed music all together. Oh boy. What year is this again? 1976. Okay. Okay. Then in 1978, we have um, a hit for Israel. Ooh. This is Itzhar Cohen and the Alphabeta. The song is called Abanibi. Ooh. Oh, wow. This is very disco. Oh. The, the bongo players. Woo. Oh. This is definitely heat. Yeah. Uh, this this group has perms. Ooh. So many perms and like the the shirts that are just... Floofs. <laughs> just big floofs. Well, also they're like unbuttoned to the Oh, you know, yeah. The and bones. floofs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because they're very... The following year, Israel does it again with Galiatari and Milk and Honey and the song Hallelujah. Ooh, okay. This is a little bit swankier. Uh, This is three dudes and a lady. Uh, The dudes are all wearing suspenders with sequins on them. (laughs) Get it. Okay. Good. In 1980, we get Ireland. Ireland comes on in where by Johnny Logan. What's another year? This is a this is a, actually a single single ballad. Single singer. Ooh, okay, Johnny Logan. I feel like he's singing right to me. It's the only way. 
He was definitely, definitely like 1980 heartthrob. I'm getting a Gordon Lightfoot feeling to more like that. A, more like an Andy Gibb. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All yeah. right. Um, 1981, and this is this turned out to be a pretty popular song, a popular group, um, by Bucks Fizz. You have Making Your Mind Up. This is another two, two guys and two girls Ooh. trying to catch that ABBA spirit. Ooh, that's some organ in there. <laughs> That was Buck's. Okay, 1987, Ireland. Johnny Logan's back. Johnny Johnny Logan Logan was again for Hold Me Now. Oh, how could you not vote for this? Oh, build it up. Mm. Hold me now, Johnny. There are Irish mothers crying. Oh, my oh God. My they gosh. love Johnny Logan. They loved him. All right. So, wait. Was 1980 the first time that Ireland, like, won? I don't know if it was their first win. But, okay. Um, because they won in 1980 and 1987 with the first with the same fella. Oh, he's sure. The, he's the only one to have ever won, won twice. twice. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. 1988, from for Switzerland, you have... I'm just going to play you this song and you tell me who this is. Uh, okay. It sounds like Celine Dion. But yes. Oh, it is a Celine, Celine Dion. <laughs> she sang for Switzerland oh. in the 1988 Eurovision but she and won. Canada. I know. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So she wins for Switzerland with Ne Parte Pas Sans Moi, which is Don't Leave Without Me. Oh. Celine Dion. I will listen to a Celine Dion song now. I, I Am a Woman in Love. That mm, still gets you right, right in the gully works. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's amazing. You've said gully works more times on this podcast. Steve has been saying gully works a lot, talking about his guts. And I just, um, it's definitely a, it's definitely a Steve thing that I've adopted. So yeah. 1994, we get Ireland wins again with the song Rock and Roll Kids. We were the rock and roll kids. By Paul Harrington and Charlie McGettigan. It doesn't sound super rock and roll. No, I wanted it to be more rock and roll. So touching. <laughs> All right, 1997, United Kingdom. The song is called "Love Shine a Light." Okay, it's by Katrina and the Waves. What? Do you know Katrina and the Waves? Uh, yeah, I know Katrina and the Waves. Well, 1997, they come back and they win for the UK and Eurovision. I mean, their hit songs were in the 80s. Yeah, right? I didn't know they were British. I mean, yeah. Okay, that's perfectly serviceable song, I guess. Yeah, it's a it's a chipper song. Yeah. But yeah, Katrina and the Waves is probably like the most popular like, you know, uh, group who was previously successful. And I see came and came and back, and back for, for them. Eurovision, I see. Okay, we're moving ahead into 2006 when Finland wins with the song Hard Rock Hallelujah by Lordy. <laughs> Okay, Ooh. so this group, 
they're they're a heavy this metal band. A, this is a metal band. They are all wearing demon masks. <laughs> um, and they won. Yeah. Uh, they're all wearing demon masks. They're playing instruments. The lead singer is holding like an axe. What? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. So, so back when the the criticism of Eurovision is that like, oh, it's so like bubblegum pop and stuff. They're like notably with the exception of 2006's <laughs> win by Lordy and Hard Rock Hallelujah when it's a metal band that's dressed like demons. You can't. You don't know what anybody looks like. They're all wearing like monster masks. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I like, love oh, this. And like full. Full like Full, monster like, gear, con- like yeah. costumes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I need to. I love this. Also, <laughs> good on all of Europe to vote for something a little different in yeah. two thousand six. Yeah, you know. So at this point, we're just gonna we're gonna cruise through the rest of the most recent winners up sure. until twenty eighteen. Yeah. So go. starting with with two thousand seven, we have um, the song Mol- "Molitva" by Maria Serifovic from Serbia. You're welcome. She's ooh very intense. I'm getting She's a- on stage with with like five other ladies because you can only have six people on stage. Next is 2008. We have Believe by Dima Bilan for Russia. Okay. He has like a Enrique Iglesias vibe. Okay. 2009, Norway. We have a song called Fairy Tale by Alexander Ryback. Very good. Ooh. Very good at the fiddle. Oh, you can hear the crowd. Yeah, They're into they it. They love it. They love it. In 2010, Germany, um, the song is called Satellite by Lena. Yeah, this is this is a little... This is very 2010. Yeah, very Euro trashy. <laughs> 2011, the song Running Scared by Ellie and Nikki from Azerbaijan. Oh, you know what? I'm into this. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 2012, the song Euphoria by Laureen for Sweden. Yes. Mm, I'm dancing in a club. There's lights. (laughs) I'm on Molly. I love it. Eurovision Song Contest. 2013, the song Only Teardrops by Emily DeForest for Denmark. Yeah. I like this. She's so much like wind. Oh, space. yeah. All right. 2014 for Austria. We have the song Rise Like a Phoenix by Conchita Wurst. Conchita Wurst. I saw a clip of this. Just goosebumps. So incredible. He also has so much wind. Such a gorgeous gown on. Oh, my God. So gorgeous. Um, did did she ever appear on like RuPaul's Drag Race or anything? No. Okay. Sorry, guys. Conchita Worst is a. So Conchita is a Conchita Worst is the drag persona of a uh, a gay man. Okay. From Austria. Okay. Named Thomas Newworth. So um, we can refer to her as she okay. because it's Conchita Worst who won. Yes. So great. Uh, amazing. That was the first time that I had ever like heard of Eurovision Mm -hmm. because again, gay Twitter was just losing (laughs) their minds about Conchita worst. And also just like what an incredible voice. Oh yeah. All alone on stage too. Mm. Like so many of these other ones you have like, like, so 
listening to this, you can kind of hear the the transition from, oh, we're going to do like a nice uh, nice big band classic to now we're going to do a duets about being in love. Yep. And here's this group of four people on the stage yeah, just like, bopping. And then like in the, in the 90s, they get a little more like emotional and they also mm-hmm. get more like a little more commercial too. I sure, think. yeah. More, more um, polished, I would yes. get the sense. Yeah. Yes. So um, 2015 for um, Sweden, we have Heroes by Mons Zemmerlau. Yeah. He's also pretty cutie. This is very, like it's in the 2000s, it seems very more, more produced. Yes. Yeah. Like Imagine Dragons. Yes. Um, 2016 for Ukraine, we have 1944 by Jamala. And this is very like raw. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Again, the crowd is eating it up. So for 2017 from Portugal, we have the song Amar Pelos Dois by Salvador Sobral. Uh, He has like a half man bun. Um, He's up on stage all alone wearing an oversized jacket. I'm surprised by 2017. Maybe it it meant something good? Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's a touching song about... All right, and then the 2018 winner. I love this song. Oh, I'm excited. So Israel, the winner was Netta with the song Toy. Okay. And I'm just going to start this from the beginning. Okay, great. I love this. Oh, and now she's doing like a chicken thing. They're like fucking like a chicken in these two. This is all mouth sounds. I love this. Look at me, I'm a beautiful creature. I don't care about your modern time preacher. Oh my god, I love this. Oh yeah. It's very like lady anthem. She does not sound like she's from Israel. No. I'm waiting for the beat to drop. I love this so much. It's so good. How is this not playing in my head 24-7? I love it. It's this better be your interstitial music. That's all I, I care should about. make it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I okay. love it's that so, so good. much. It's so good. Uh, we saw this. We were watching the um, Big Fat Quiz show of mm-hmm. 2018. And they asked a question about like, oh, the, you know, the winning song of Eurovision, uh, what was the, what animal appeared prominently <laughs> in this? And like three, three of the teams do that it was chicken. chicken. Cause it was like, <laughs> it's, it's very good. The video oh. is fantastic. Oh my god! And gosh. I don't even watch music videos. No, Julia hates them. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I feel now I'm like. 
why didn't I watch every year of Eurovision? <laughs> Couple more things about Eurovision. Please. Um, so one of the most successful songs that ever appeared in the Eurovision Song Contest is 1958's Domenico Magnogno's No Blue de Pinto de Blue. Oh, what? A.K.A. Valare. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was a Eurovision song. Yes. It spent five non-consecutive weeks atop the Billboard Hot 100 in August and September 1958 and was Billboard's number one single for the year. Um, Madugno's recording subsequently became the first Grammy winner for Record of the Year and Song of the Year at the first annual Grammy Awards in 1958. Oh, look at that. The song has been famously covered by Dean Martin, mm-hmm. Ella Fitzgerald, and David Bowie, among others. Um, during that 50th anniversary of Eurovision concert, Nel Blue de Pinto de Blue was voted the number two favorite all-time Eurovision song oh. after Atlas Waterloo. Oh, that's so nice. it didn't win the year that it oh it, that didn't. it was there, but it was the most successful like song that was performed there. I see. Okay. And finally, related, um, there is another international song contest that's. What? People should know. It's called the Liet International. Um, it's a song contest for musicians who speak any of Europe's regional or minority languages. Oh, And cool. it was held for the first time in 2002. So the goal of this festival is to boost interest in Europe's minority languages, especially with young people. Mm. Since 2006, the festival travels around Europe and since 2008 under the patronage of the Council of Europe. Liet International attracts each year a lot of media attention and grew to be one of the biggest events for the promotion of minority languages. So in 2018, participants sang in languages including Komi, Scots, Sami, Galician, Frisian, mm. Scottish Gaelic, Bashkir, and more. Um, the 2018 Liet winner was the group The Rowan Tree singing the song Trezor in Cornish. Oh my God. Who speaks Cornish anymore? Exactly. Apparently so this is them. supposed to like promote sure. all these tiny languages too, which is pretty cool. It's really cool. So Eurovision, everybody. I- love this so much please can we watch it in may i want to watch this so badly i love this like i i love the unbridled cheesiness of it i love the like the the history and like everybody just going crazy about it i love it i need and i just love a tv competition show of course. i'm a sucker for it yes Done. we'll do it Let's we do only it. have to watch the semi two semifinals and a grand final how long could that be? No, that couldn't possibly take all weekend, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Julia. You're welcome. So I talked a little about ABBA earlier. Uh-oh. So my quiz is called ABAB. It's a quiz on poetic forms and blood types. Oh, no. For each poem question, you just have to name the type of poem it is based on its rhyme scheme or form. Okay. Okay. You are really taxing my back to college memory. All right. Okay. okay. So, um, yeah. So if I give you a question about a poem, you just have to tell me what kind of poem it is. Okay. All right. Okay. Question one. This is a poem question. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Check out his nice smile and eyes. His neck is so strong. What kind of poem is this? Question two. Austrian scientist Carl Landsteiner discovered that blood variation existed in humans, classifying blood into, at that time, three different groups in 1901. For this important influential discovery, he was later awarded which category of Nobel Prize in 1930? Question three, a poem question. Trivia, compelling, valuable, absorbing, recalling, satisfying. It comes in handy. Pub quiz. What kind of poem is this? Question four. A hygrometer won't help with this one. 
If a person has A positive or B negative blood, to what is the positive or negative suffix referring? Question five, a poem question. Think about actor Channing Tatum. Seems the people either love him or hate him. Such range and talent, he's no phony. He deserves an Oscar for his dance to pony. What kind of poem is this? <laughs> Question six. Alas, I need both the letter or letters and the suffix. Compatible with any blood type, what is known as the universal donor? Question seven. A poem question. When would I like a glass of wine? Whenever I'm about to dine. Or if my day has been just fine. Maybe I should grow a vine and label the grapes with a sign that says, hands off, these are mine, because you'll receive quite a fine if you get between me and my wine. What kind of poem is this? Question eight. Again, I need both the letter or letters and the suffix. A person who can receive any blood, also known as a universal recipient, has what blood type? Question nine. A poem question. There's a podcast to put in your queue. Facts for ladies and gentlemen, too. Things never get boring with Julia and Lauren. Please rate, subscribe, and review. <laughs> what kind of poem is this? And question 10. Forget sun sign astrology. Since the mid-20th century, this island country has instead considered a person's blood type to determine the compatibility in relationships, work, and social situations. Despite zero scientific evidence proving that blood type plays any role in personality, which country considers this to be the prevailing influence on a person's nature? Well, I'll give you about a minute to think, and we'll be back with your answers. Ouch. Ha. Hm. La. Ouch. Look at me, I'm a beautiful creature. I don't care about your modern time preacher. Welcome, boys, too much noise. I will teach you. You forgot that I play. My teddy bear's running away. The Barbie got something to say. Hey, 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 hey. My summer says, Leave me alone. I'm taking my Pikachu home. You're stupid just like you're smart. So. Wonder Woman, don't you ever forget. You're divine and he's about to regret. He's a Those were excellent. You are a poet. I spent a lot of time working on that. That was so good. Oh, I don't know if I know any of them. Okay. Oh, sure. Okay. Question one. What type of poem is this? Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Check out his nice smile and eyes. His neck is so strong. That's a haiku. <laughs> it is a haiku. <laughs> line one is five syllables. Line two is seven syllables. And line three is five syllables. Question two. Austrian scientist Carl Landsteiner discovered that blood variation existed in humans, classifying blood into, at the time, three different groups in 1901. For this important influential discovery, he was later awarded which category of Nobel Prize in 1930? Was it biology? No. Was it medicine? Yes, full title. Medicine and biology. Medicine and medical discoveries. <laughs> The category is called physiology or medicine. Okay. Okay. Full, yeah. 
1900, um, he found that blood serums from different persons would clump together or agglutinate when mixed in test tubes. And not only that some human blood also agglutinated with animal blood. So they were like, this is not good. Um, the following year, he made a definitive observation that blood serum of an individual would agglutinate with only those of certain individuals. So based on this, he classified human bloods into three groups. He named them Group A, Group B, and Group C. And later, Group C was renamed to O after the German One, meaning without or zero or null. Um, two of his students discovered type AB blood in 1902. Uh, blood types are determined by the presence or absence of certain antigens, which are substances that can trigger an immune response if they are foreign to the body. Question three, what kind of poem is this? Trivia, compelling, valuable, absorbing, recalling, satisfying. It comes in handy. Pub quiz. <laughs> um, oh, I know this. It's not a tone poem, is it? No, because no. that's music. Um, is it uh, free form or? There are five lines. Iambic pentameter? No. <laughs> this know. is a synquane. Oh, I don't know that. Okay. I don't know this. A synquane is C I N Q U A I N. There are five lines that they call A B C D E. So line A is one vague or general one word subject or topic. Line B, two vivid adjectives that describe the topic. Line C, three interesting action verbs that end in ing that fit the topic. Okay. Uh, line D is a forward phrase that captures the feeling about the topic. And line E is a very specific term that explains line A. <laughs> A wow, that's um, a lot of rules for uh, a poem. <laughs> that's a lot of rules. I'm surprised by that. Question four. A hygrometer won't help with this one. If a person has A positive or B negative blood, to what is the positive or negative suffix referring? I mean, I know a hygrometer has to do with humidity. Mm -hmm. Is it liquid or water? Or? So if, if you have A positive blood, what does the positive mean? Positive Humidity? What? <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. What is, what? The, okay, so the positive or negative after the blood is called the RH factor. Okay. Oh, oh, I was, um, I was thinking too broad. Okay, okay. RH. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, it was previously called the rhesus group, R-H-E-S-U-S, uh, yes. specifically of the capital D antigen. Um, so there's a protein called the RH factor, which can either be present, indicated as positive, or absent, indicated as negative. Mm. And one important reason to know your RH type, um, something called the hemolytic condition occurs when there is incompatibility between the blood types of a mother and the fetus in a, in a pregnancy. Yes. So there's also potential incompatibility if the mother is RH negative and the father is positive. So when in Compatibility is detected. The mother often receives an injection um, and, and also at birth to avoid the development of antibodies against the fetus. Ugh. Ugh. That's awful. Question five. What kind of poem is this? <laughs> Think about actor Channing Tatum. Seems that people either love him or hate him. Such range and talent. He's no phony. He deserves an Oscar for his dance to pony. That, oh, so good. Uh... I don't know. Is it an ode? It is not an ode. It is a clear hue. Oh, jeez. I wasn't going to get that. No. That came up, <laughs> it came up in Learned League a couple seasons ago, and oh, people were like, oh, I'll never forget this now. Um, so a clear hue is a whimsical four-line biographical poem invented by Edmund Clarahue Bentley. That makes so sense. So they're four lines long. The first and second lines rhyme with each other, and the third and fourth lines rhyme with each other. So the first line names a person, um, and also a clear hue should be funny. 
Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Interesting. Question six. Alas, I need both the letter or letters and the suffix. Compatible with any blood type, what is known as the universal donor? Uh, that is O positive. It's O negative. Is it O negative? O negative is the universal donor. O positive is actually the most common blood type, but since O negative is is compatible with anyone, that's what like the blood banks run out of all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm O positive. I always thought I was the universal donor. I'm sorry. But I guess I'm not. I'm not. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have a purpose anymore. <laughs> I feel terrible. Oh my God, I've been donating blood and they've just been throwing it away. <laughs> just That's like, not true. I sh- uh, <laughs> ugh, this girl keeps donating blood. <laughs> okay, question seven. What kind of poem is this? When would I like a glass of wine? Whenever I'm about to dine, or if my day has been just fine, maybe I should grow a vine and label the grapes with a sign that says, hands off, these are mine, because you'll receive quite a fine if you give between me and my wine. I, I don't know, a rhyming poem? I, I don't know. It's called a mono rhyme. Yeah. Because they all, all end rhymes. in the same. Because <laughs> they all end in the same, the whole poem yeah. ends in all the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's used to describe the work's, Used to describe the use of one or mono type of repetitious sound, rhyme. (laughs) This is common in Arabic, Latin, and Welsh works, especially. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Question eight. Again, I need both the letter or letters and the suffix. A person who can receive any blood, also known as a universal recipient, has what blood type? Uh, AB. Look, AB and then what suffix? AB negative? AB positive. positive. Damn it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Question nine. What kind of poem is this? <laughs> There's a podcast to put in your queue. Facts for ladies and gentlemen, too. Things never get boring with Julia and Lauren. Please rate, subscribe, and review. That's a limerick. It is a limerick. <laughs> so limericks are five lines long. Lines one, two, and five rhyme with one another, and lines three and four rhyme with one another. They have a distinctive rhythm and are usually funny. The origin of the name limerick for this type of poem is debated, but may derive from an earlier form of a nonsense first parlor game that traditionally included a refrain that people would say, will or won't you come up to limerick? It was some oh, like, like parlor game thing call and response type thing and finally question 10 forget sun sign astrology since the mid-20th century this island country has instead considered a person's blood type to determine compatibility in relationships work and social situations despite zero scientific evidence proving that blood type plays any role in personality which country considers this to be the prevailing influence on a person's nature okay so sun signs trying to think of sun signs so you got leo you got Sit back. Oh, jeez. you go through them all. I can't. But you don't have to think about the signs. No? Oh, man. Tropic of Capricorn. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I don't know. Who is it? Japan. Japan? Oh, oh, I say yeah, the rising sun. That makes sense. Many Japanese people believe that each blood type has a certain personality and affinity, so it's common for them to ask someone their blood type or try to guess someone's blood type by their personality. It is not uncommon for women in their 20s and 30s to select a prospective husband based on his blood type. People with rarer types can suffer from burahara or blood type discrimination. Oh, no. 
No. According to popular belief in Japan, type A's are sensitive perfectionists and good team players, but overanxious. Type O's are curious and generous, but stubborn. Sounds a like B's me. are arty, but mysterious and unpredictable. And type B's are cheerful, but eccentric, individualistic, and selfish. Uh, during World War II, factions of the Imperial Army were organized by their blood types. Wow. And to this day, books on blood type dominate the bestsellers list in Japan. A whole industry of customized products have also sprung up, including soft drinks, chewing gum, bath salts, and condoms catering for different blood groups. Wow. There's like a whole infrastructure yes. based around this. And also, um, Josh mentioned that he knew this because in some of the video games that he plays, like if, like a Japanese character, maybe they'll give you like their stats and stuff. You know, oh, they're five foot two. Oh, they're good at punching and their blood type. And their blood type? That's so funny. So what are you? What's your personality? Then? I'm A positive. Okay. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist, but I'm over anxious. Sure. I'll take that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what was so positive again? Um, well, they just say type O's are curious and generous, but stubborn. Yeah, that seems right. Sure. That's me. All right. So some, some bonus info on blood. If you Please have no idea me. what I was talking about during this quiz, I want to hear about that. All blue. blood is made of the same essential elements. Red blood cells, which using a protein called hemoglobin transport oxygen and remove carbon dioxide. White blood cells, which fight infection platelets, which help blood clot, and plasma, the liquid that contains salts and proteins, Gross. the fluid that transports the other components. Yes. So when you like bleed your own blood, it's mostly plasma holding a bunch of little sure. cells. There are eight common blood types. A positive, A negative, B positive, B negative, O positive, O negative, AB positive, AB negative. Group A blood only has the A antigen on red blood cells and the B antibody in the plasma. Group B blood has only the B antigen on red blood cells and A antibody in the plasma. Group AB blood has both A and B antigens on red blood cells and neither antibody in the plasma. Oh, wow. And group O has neither A nor B antigens on red blood cells, but both A and B antibodies in the plasma. And according to the Red Cross, again, O positive is the most common blood type. Well, that doesn't make me feel special at all. <laughs> Man, I never thought I'd get depressed about my blood type. <laughs> Well, if you got another thing to be anxious about, I mean, I guess about. if you were in Japan, then I guess so. People would, but like, apparently, it's it. common for them to like you meet someone mm -hmm. and they're like, "Oh, you're a blood type, aren't you?" Like they wow. like they call it, they find it like a, a source of pride to be able to like, yeah, I mean, guess, I guess what blood type you are because they they assume that goes with your personality. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like like you mentioned with the astrology thing, like people are like, "He's such a Sagittarius," <laughs> you know. Like, well, I mean, not everybody says that. I don't think I've ever. Really talk you to said anybody. That out loud. Yeah. Nobody's <laughs> ever said that out loud. That wasn't joking. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. What a thing. Mm -hmm. A random just assortment of stuff about ourselves that other people judge us on. So there's that. If you have any <laughs> if you have any uh, listener submitted trivia to us about maybe your Eurovision experience. Yeah. Or you want to talk about your Eurovision experience. Please do. Or your blood, I guess. Well, we could take I'm that. happy to talk about your blood. Uh, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at misinfopod. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're Misinformation, a trivia podcast. And we also have a website, www.misinfopod.com. You can also stream us at uh, www.misinfopod.com. Also, um, we have been getting a lot of really lovely, uh, generous donations from people oh, who gosh. have been basically tipping us because we've provided an answer for them at <laughs> Pub Quiz, which that's, I'll take it any day of the week. That's awesome. <laughs> so um, we do have a little donate uh, thing for our PayPal on our website and also um, 
It's on our Twitter page, um, in our bio. So, uh, yes, thank you so much. It's, uh, if you love us and you want to throw us a couple bucks to help us with overhead fees and, and stuff, we do this for free. We definitely do not pay ourselves <laughs> for this. So thank you guys so much for being so generous. Yeah, so we appreciate it. And we have a, um, a whole page on our website dedicated to our gold star listeners gold who star have listeners. donated to us. We, we love you guys. Exactly. Uh, so uh, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe, uh, and please tell a friend. Wonderful. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.